My name is Tom Chick. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is, about the games that matter to them. Today we have with us someone who has been variously known as, uh, let's say you were Blue Gaiute first. Yep. Uh, after that, you were uh, Mary Prankster. That's your current name. Yep. But a lot of us know you as Matt. And yep. more specifically, uh, your name is Matt Mangi. Uh, mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, aren't you like in, I want to say Vermont, like aren't you way out east? Yeah, yeah, I'm up in uh, Burlington, Vermont, actually. How does a fella end up in Burlington, Vermont? Is he born there? Uh, actually, born in Daytona Beach, Florida, um, and adopted and brought to Montpelier, Vermont. Well, Northfield originally, and then Montpelier. Um, and then moved up here, Went to, ended up going to school here after doing a stint down south in art school at Savannah College of Art and Design, and kind of just like Vermont, I've traveled around a bunch, but ended up always back here, and Burlington's just a wonderful city and a very livable place, so thought I'd stay. Now, I think I could be thinking of the wrong Vermont town, but wasn't Computer Game Strategy Plus published out of Vermont? Do you do you actually know this? You may not know this. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I think Computer Game Strategy Plus, which became Computer Games Magazine, which I think became Computer Games, uh, Steve Bauman was, was my editor there. I think those guys were up in Burlington, Vermont for a while huh. before right. that thing closed down. Uh Never been, but it's like a small college town, right? Uh, yeah, it's like a mid-sized town, but it's a very pedestrian city. Like, I get up and I ride my bike into town to get my burritos and bagels and whatnot. Um, there's a it's very uh, pedestrian center to town, not a lot of traffic there, so it's just a really nice place to live downtown. So, Now, wait a minute. You talk about getting on your bike, but if I'm not mistaken, the temperatures probably get below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. At this time of year, right? Yeah. And I don't think that it's safe to be outdoors on a bicycle if it's below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. All right. To be fair, the biking is more of a summertime activity (laughs) than a winter activity. Yeah. So we don't have a lot of snow now, but, yeah, it's a little chilly for biking. It's probably 40-something degrees out there right now. But it sounds like an idyllic little place. Is that correct? Like when I think of Burlington, Vermont, I think of just idyllic small town. Yeah. Yeah, what, What? what problems are there in Burlington, Vermont? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't seem to have any. I mean, it's afternoons by the waterfront playing frisbee and bike rides on the bike path and kayaking and hiking and skiing. And Now, come on. If you're not careful, Matt, everybody's going to want to move to Vermont. I know, what right? What do you tell people? So you guys, do you have do you have a crappy little movie theater with, like, with, like, old seats and a terrible sound system? Is that a problem in Vermont? Not really. We've got a couple of nice stadium uh, right. theaters, but the one in town's pretty crappy, and the seats make your back hurt if you're there for more than 20 minutes, so I don't recommend that. Okay, do you have, uh, is it overrun with narrow-minded Republicans? No, no, it's actually very, very liberal. Um, so narrow-minded okay. Republicans will not like it here at all. They will. Is your is your sales tax prohibitively high? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe around 6%. <laughs> All right, well, I guess everyone's going to move to Vermont, see what you've done now. I hope you're happy. Well, well, to be fair, cost of living here is quite high. Why? Because uh, it's Burlington and everyone wants to live here. Rents are really high. I mean, my rent... What? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 
Rents are quite high, you know. Just... Now, now, parse that for me, Matt. Like, pull out some uh, economist stuff. Why, in a place like Vermont, would, would rent be high? Because we have a 98% occupancy rate here, so it's really easy for landlords to charge a lot. Ah. There's no, I mean, if you want to live here, it's hard to find a place, so they can get away with charging a lot. Well, there you go. I think you've just discouraged a lot of people from moving. There. Yeah, don't move yeah. because you live in your car for six months while you find an apartment. Don't move to Vermont. <laughs> now, if I may ask, what do you do in Vermont? What is a typical day like for Matt Mangi? Well, that's kind of a tricky question. I Principally, I own a house painting business. Um, we do a lot of renovation, new construction, um, and all that kind of stuff. I also... Moonlight as a hydrogeologist doing work for a company called Stone Environmental. Um, and that's okay. Now, you know, I, I got to stop you right here. Yeah, I figured hydrogeologist. That sounds, first of all, that sounds, there's some great cognitive dissonance because, of course, hydro is water. But wait, geologist, that's rock. Yeah. How can you have water in rocks? So is it underwater rocks? Do you, do you like, muck around in, in uh, old rock quarries filled with water? Well, essentially any rock below the water line is underwater. <laughs> so A pebble in a, in a mud puddle. Well, I mean, the water line is underground as well, right? So if you drill down 20 feet, you hit the water table, and you drill down below that, there's water moving through those rocks, and in that water there tends to be contaminated material, like if you're on an old industrial huh? site. Um, so you need to find out how much of that's down there, which direction it's moving in, through the fractures in the rock or the sand or whatever it is down there. So hydrogeology. So i got to say, Matt, I think there needs to be, if there isn't already, there needs to be like a, a horror movie or an adventure movie or something where the lead character is a hydrogeologist. I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. So is a typical day then for you, uh, is there no such thing? Like some days you're painting, some days you're taking water samples? Uh... Yeah, either that or ski instructing or skiing um, or doing freelance illustration stuff. So mm -hmm. uh, it, it kind of comes in waves and ebbs and flows. Like I'll spend a bunch of time doing this geology stuff, and then I'll have a big paint project, and then in the winter I ski a lot. So, right. And that's uh, that's snow skiing for for those of us who are in a place where where both things can happen. Yes, alpine, as well. What's al alpine? Is that downhill skiing? Yeah, as opposed to Nordic, which is cross country. Oh, I didn't know they had separate words. I I mean, I just knew downhill and cross country. Nordic and alpine. Why do you need those words? That's superfluous. Yeah, of course it is. But you know, we're you, you skiers, <laughs> you're a pretentious lot. You skiers, yeah, of good course you are. <laughs> Uh, and have you been really into the Olympics? Does that stuff matter to you? Uh, I missed all of it. I usually like to watch the downhill racing and some of the freestyle racing um, because the form of those guys is just unbelievable. And as a ski instructor, I can really, like, see what they're doing and just be, like, totally amazed. But unfortunately, this year, yeah, the Olympics came and went, and I was like, oh, damn. Oh, well. <laughs> so... Uh so you uh, did you grow up skiing? Is that something that you had to do at an early age, or did you come to that later? And I ask, Matt, because specifically I have tried to ski a few times, and, and I've kind of decided it's like playing a musical instrument, where if you try to do it too late in life, it's not really going to take. Well, I don't think you can't start too late in life, but my own experience is I started when I was about 8, um, and I'm 33, so someone who's better at math can figure that out, uh, but it's been quite a while as long as I can remember. Um, but certainly we have plenty of people that come in for beginner lessons that are late 30s, 40s, even 50s and 60s, you know, and 
if you have a good instructor and you kind of take it slow, you can pick it right up and have a lot of fun with it. So, I guess I should say, yeah, that's, again, sort of like playing a, a musical instrument. If you want to do it later, you have to have a lot of patience. And I don't – and here's my problem, Matt, with skiing and why I don't have a lot of patience with it. When you go skiing, it's really cold. Yeah, I recommend warmer clothing, actually. Oh! <laughs> oh, shorts and flip-flops. I should have known. Okay. Look at those LA, the L.A. clothes to the mountain. Might not work for you. You may want to invest in some you know, thermal underwear and fleece and Gore-Tex, and that, that'll probably carry you through nicely. So Now, I don't, I don't know if you know this about L.A., but people here go skiing. You drive to a place, I guess, called Big Bear. Uh, a good buddy of mine took a day off work uh, last I think Thursday and spent the day skiing. You drive somewhere out of town and and you can ski in Los Angeles. I uh, we got everything down here. You, you know what? Forget Burlington. Come <laughs> to Los Angeles. Well, I'll tell you, the only other place I've ever been tempted to want to live is Lake Tahoe. So I, California's got some good stuff. The Sierras are very big and the skiing is very good there. So you are. So you're kind of really into like the whole nature skiing outdoorsy thing, yeah? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I play a lot of video games, so that kind of counteracts that. I'm not sure. <laughs> but you're also a dork. That's what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But no, I, I mean, I, yeah, I like to get out and do stuff. It's a lot of fun. So now you're you're also fairly well known for drawing, uh, and I, don't take this the wrong way, <laughs> for drawing hobbits that look disturbingly like leprechauns. Oh. There's something a little freaky about your hobbits, Matt. I hope you don't take that personally. I, I'm, I'm a little suspicious of them. I'm not sure I trust them. Yeah. Uh, but you have very distinctive style. Yeah, they're, they may not be trustworthy. I'm not sure I trust them either. I mean, they sort of come out and look at me, and I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> so, but, yeah, it's, I, I really like to draw quite a bit, actually. I, I get a lot of satisfaction from that, so... Now, where does that come from? You, so you said you went to, I, I think you said art school in Savannah? Yep, I did. I spent two years there before deciding to double major in art and environmental studies up here at UVM, um, which is University of Vermont right here in Burlington. Uh, but, I, you know, back in, like, second grade when, like, all the kids drew and everyone was drawing with crayons and stuff, and then by, like, eighth grade there's, like, three art dorks sitting in the corner drawing pictures. I'm one of those, like, art dorks that just mm -hmm. kind of kept on drawing when everyone else fell off to do other stuff, so. And where did these hobbits, are they hobbits? I, I'm, I'm just sort of assuming. Are, do you, are they something else? What are those guys? They're, I, you know, I don't even know. People always ask me, why do they have three toes and four fingers? I don't know. It's the way I draw them. It's, it's, I have no idea. It's just sort of what lives in my mind are these funny little characters, so I draw them. Where did they come from? Where did you first meet them? Uh... You know, they sort of developed over the last eight years from, as I, I used to be very into sort of sequential art, comic illustration, a lot of comic book reading in my younger years, and that sort of as I was less full of angst and wanting to draw violent things I, and more full of funny thoughts, I started to draw these funnier characters, and it sort of developed over time as my attitudes have changed, so has the artwork, so... I now I kind of feel bad about making fun of this. It's, <laughs> it sounds like a very healthy pursuit. <laughs> no, I mean, they're a little quirky. All right. <laughs> uh, what other kinds of things do you draw? Uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, right now I'm working on uh, illustration of someone's house that they commissioned me to do. So that's sort of sitting here in my studio, uh, actually right next to me right now. And it's coming along okay. Uh, I do some painting, but a lot of sort of, Lights of fancy kind of thing. I just like to draw what's in my mind at the time and whatever kind of silliness I happen to be thinking. 
So uh, Now, I don't, because I've never been artistically inclined, I'm not really sure how this works for some people, but do you actually take time where you think, okay, I'm now going to spend an hour drawing, or is it just something you do when the mood hits you? Uh, is, is it like writing where you have to cultivate it, or is it just something you do to relax? A, a little bit of both. A lot of what has been posted up on the forum are things that I've drawn either mostly to relax, but I do sort of make myself sit and like resolve things to like a finished painted work. And that's actually much more work. To, it's really easy to sit and sketch something and be like, ooh, this is fun, how nice. And then, but I kind of have to make myself sit down and get out the paint and like get out some Bristol board and you know, kind of bring things to that resolution. So that's a bit of a different matter. Now, you've been hired to draw somebody's house? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in a situation like that where you have to do it for work, is it is it, is it tedious? Oh, you... a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. It's, I mean, it's a gorgeous home. It's a big $5 million lake house kind of thing. Uh, so it's kind of a cool subject with a lot of roof lines and a lot of cool stuff going on. But, yeah, I do have to kind of make myself sit and do it. It's, it, it can be a bit dreary drawing a house. <laughs> Are you working from a, a photograph, I presume? Yes, yes. And I've been out to the house several times, but I have a series of photographs I'm working from as well. So so when the people come to you, do they show you the photograph and they say, we want a drawing of this? Or do they just say, Matt, we want a picture of our house, come up with ideas? Or do they tell you what to do? Uh, no, they were pretty open. They, they somehow found out about me through an architect I do a lot of house painting with who knew I also do some illustration stuff and has seen a little bit of my work and they came to me and were like yeah we'd like love this either a painted thing or a charcoal drawing um, and I settled on a charcoal drawing because I thought that would look really nice and uh, yeah they kind of left a lot of it up to me so and how long does something like this take you oh god I don't know how long have I been working on this I probably have 15 hours into it so far it'll probably be like a 20 hour project 20 20 25 hour project for that maybe Maybe 30 hours. It depends on how many times I screw up <laughs> as I go. And is there, is there any, do you have any nervousness about, so you finish it and you show it to them and they might not like it? Yeah, there's a good bit of that, actually. <laughs> you always sort of hope that they're really happy with it, and generally people are, but I've had, I have had projects in the past where some people have been, eh, you know, like, okay, fine, I'll do it again. Um, so that happens from time to time. It's just part of anything, you know? I, I used to work at a little tiny ad agency back in Arkansas, and we had, uh, I specifically remember one guy, but we had a few artists that we would go to, and I just remember feeling so bad when we would tell them, okay, this is the kind of drawing we want. And we were just middlemen for clients, really. We're the ad agency, and we go to the artist. And so the poor artist is once removed from the person who's going to evaluate their work, but I just remember feeling kind of sorry for these guys coming and in our own unartistic way explaining to them, okay, here's what we want. And then they would give us something and maybe the client wouldn't like it. But I just that divide for between the artistic perspective and then the end user, you know, like how, how do you communicate across that divide? And so I can imagine how unnerving that must be. Yeah, it, it, it can be a challenge. I, I oftentimes will do up a couple of quick thumbnails for projects that I'm doing so that people can kind of get an idea, and they usually ah. like some of that, and that way you're not super invested in a final piece, and you kind of like, okay, well, we kind of like how this looks. Let's see it better. Um, I, I find that people generally want something, and they don't know what they want, but they want it to be better than they could possibly imagine. <laughs> <laughs> like, so that is, 
yes, it can be very difficult trying to work back like that. So, Now, what's something that you can't draw? Because I hear things like, you know, oh, hands are difficult or, you know, uh, what's something that, that for you is difficult to draw? Uh, I'm trying to think. You know, what? one thing I'm not very good at with is landscape painting. Um, I tend to like to draw focal point stuff, like where things are in the foreground or, or the attraction and my backgrounds tend to be a bit weaker. So there's not a lot of like this sort of like ambient landscapes where you have all these layers of atmospheric perspective and that kind of stuff bringing you off into the distance is probably what I'm weakest at, I would say. When you're in art school, do you study stuff like that? Is that part of, like, do you have to do exercises or you do these layered landscapes and whatnot? Yeah, yeah, like dealing with all these different forms of perspective, sure, yeah. Did you like art school? I did. I, I, it, it's kind of like going to trade school, though, and I was like, I, there's got to be more in the world than just pictures. Um, you know, you don't get a real broad view of what's going on. And uh, I really didn't like living in the South either. That was part of my one. Oh, yeah. you jerk. <laughs> ah, Savannah, come on, man. Savannah's actually, it's I think beautiful, for the South, but... Savannah's pretty progressive. You could do much worse than Savannah. I know, and that says something about... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience, and it just wasn't for me. Um, gorgeous town, though. Now, you said something before, and if I, it's totally okay if you don't want to talk about this, but it, it made my, my ears perk up, and I'm, I'm really curious. Sure. Um, so your, your, your adoptive parents are, are there in Vermont. Um, when, well, okay, I'll just say, have you met your actual parents, I, and is it something that matters to you? I have not. I, I was in Daytona Beach once, and it was for spring break when I was in college, and it seemed much more interesting to go to the beach and have beers than... <laughs> they get for records in a hospital, so that kind of got killed pretty quickly. Um, but no, I haven't. I've never made an attempt to try to track them down. At some point, maybe I will, but it hasn't been high on my list of priorities. So, was it difficult being a kid? Well, let me ask you this: When did you find out you were adopted? Were your adoptive parents always open with that? Was that something that was sprung on you at one point? No, no. I've actually known since they. I mean, as soon as I was able to understand, they told me. So I've known my entire life that I was adopted. So, And what do your folks do? Are they there in, in Burlington? Well, my mom owns, uh, or my parents own, my dad passed Oh, you away. know what? I'm so yeah. sorry, too. So. I, I, I remember thinking about this. Wow. So just for everyone else, I know your father passed away recently. Yes. Uh, uh, that must have been very difficult. You posted about that, and I appreciated you being so open. Mm-hmm. Um, so what uh, What does your mother – well, what did your father do? Well, my, they both owned a small artisan bakery in Montpelier uh, that makes whole grain handmade uh, loaves of bread uh, that are sold in sort of co-ops and other types of health food stores and kind of all over central Vermont and a little bit in Burlington as well. Were you raised by hippies? Uh, you know, uh, it's hard to say. <laughs> that sounds kind of hippie-ish, Matt. <laughs> but they're not really hippies, you know. They weren't like Grateful Dead followers or any of that, or like hippiness. But they're, it's you know, the whole food organic. You know, they grow a lot of their own food, and they, you know, if they want meat, they go right to the farm and get it from an actual farmer <laughs> instead of going to a supermarket. So um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, tell me something that you did with your father when when you were a kid. When I was a kid, I think we did a good bit of fishing, actually. Fishing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he loved to fish. I never liked it, but we went a lot. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. And uh, would would he make you fish, or would you just kind of hang around and he would fish and he would be with his son? He would do most of the fishing. I would usually be off play, building a castle out of rocks in a stream somewhere, disturbing the fish. And he would look over and go, stop disturbing the fish. I'd be like, oh, sorry, hang on. Let me go play in the woods. So, yeah. I, now, that. I know there's different kinds of fishing. Like, fishing isn't any one thing. And for guys like us who don't do it, it's easy to just think, oh, fishing. But there's, like, there's like fishing where you go out in a boat and you just sit there. There's the serious fly fishing where you tie your own fly and uh you know, what uh, What kind of fishing did your dad do? Uh, just like with a fishing pole by the side of a brook. I, I don't know much about fishing either. I never really took to it, but I know there were brooks and there were fishing poles, so. My uh, my grandfather, so I I, uh, I moved around a lot when I was a kid, and uh, around fifth grade, I, I ended up back in Arkansas. My mother moved me and my sister back to Arkansas, and my grandfather lived there, and my grandfather uh loved fishing and he had a house on the lake and I remember him taking us little grandkids fishing on occasion and I I never really took to it either but one of the things I remember most this is one of his childhood experiences that freaks you out that stays with you forever is sort of being afraid of the fish I didn't like the fish so I would fish with my grandfather and I would just hold the pole and if I caught a fish he would take over from there you know I was basically just the equivalent of something (laughs) with the pole and I remember catching a fish once, and my grandfather trying to talk me into, you know, bringing the fish in. And I, I'm sure he thought he was being helpful, and he was getting me over my fear of fish. Uh, but this is a case where I was undone by physics, because what he told me to do was to lift the pole, like, out of the water so he could get the fish. But the physics of that are such that as you lift a pole with a fish on the end, the fish <laughs> begins to swing in towards your face. So... For me, it seemed like my grandfather was was doing was telling me to do something that would make a scary fish fly at my face, <laughs> <laughs> and I just never. And I, I always think you know fish are kind of like icky, and I feel bad with the hook in their mouth. And so I, I'm with you. I I, yeah. I certainly think it's cool people who dig fishing, but I, I never really took to it that much. Well, I, I hope you understand that by telling me that story, that coming soon is a picture of a young tongue. Tom Chick with a fish flying at his face on the end of the pole, who looks you know strange, I see that strangely like a hobbit. <laughs> well, that's the stuff of my nightmares, Matt. So. <laughs> I can't help it. The idea is kids like screaming as a fish comes flying at his head on the end of a pole. It's going to be pretty good. <laughs> so you must be really spoiled then in terms of like like breads and bakery goods. Is that correct? Quite, yeah, very much so. Uh, I don't even like a bagel if it's older than a couple hours, and bread if it's a day old, forget it, done. Wow, aren't you snooty? I am, very much so. (laughs) My family are very much foodies. My sister and brother-in-law are both uh, culinary trade chefs, uh, and so I am, yes, lots of good food. Of course, I can't cook for beans, but I eat a lot of good food. Well, of course, you don't have to because it sounds like you're surrounded by people who can cook, so... You don't need to do that. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, now, so it, does your mom still run the bakery? She does. You, yeah, we're okay. uh, we're in a kind of a transition period. I've actually been working there the last uh, month or so, three or four weeks, something like that, as we kind of try to get things settled and eased into the whatever the new, uh, you know, incarnation of that will be. So that's that's been an awful lot going on right now too. So, but yes, the the bakery marches on. Uh, can we say the name of the bakery? Would that be? No, we know your last name and everything. What's the name of the bakery uh, in Burlington? Well, it's actually in Montpelier. It's called Mangy's Bread. Um, 
There's a store called Healthy Living right here in Burlington around the corner for me that has it, and a few places in outlying Essex areas. Uh, it's called Sweet. Oh, Reed. so this isn't. I, this isn't just like a corner shop where you can go. This, you guys like actually make bread and and send it to supermarkets and whatnot. Yeah, mostly like health food stores, like more like boutique type of health food stores. Not a lot of like you know Shaw's or whatever kind of supermarket type things. But uh, right, yeah. Right. And so what, what? I'm sorry, yeah, I cut you off. But what is the actual bread called? Uh, Maggie's bread. Oh, okay, that's okay. Good, Pretty basic. Very. Good. <laughs> uh, now, so today you want to talk about a game that uh, I well we I I think it's fairly controversial. Uh, this this is a game that when I had heard about it, I was like, oh, nobody's going to want to play this. I'm looking forward to it. But it did very well, uh, and it even won some awards. And I think it proved extremely popular on the forum. Um, tell me how you came to Demon's Souls. Well, I have uh, Quarter to Three and probably Lizard King to thank for ending up with Demon Souls. I played a lot of RE5 with him, and he was always talking about how amazing it was. And I was like, well, all right, got to try this. Uh, now, he had imported it, if I'm not mistaken. He had, like, yes. Like, Lizard King was talking early on about Demon Souls before any of us really knew about it. And I think even before Atlas announced their plans to import it. I could be wrong about that. But yeah, he was definitely one of the early adopters. Yeah. Yeah, and so he kind of clued me in, and then when I found out it was coming to the... I was actually going to import it, and then I found out it was coming to the States, and I was like, all right, well, I'll just wait till the U.S. version comes and not have to do that whole PlayAsia nonsense. And uh, yeah. Now, while you were waiting for it to come to the States, were you reading... Because I know that there was uh, Lizard King and some others were very active in a thread about the game. Were you following that thread, or did you go into, uh, like, blackout mode until you could actually play the game? I didn't really go into blackout mode, but I didn't actively seek out information about it until I played it. I just was sort of like, ah, I'm going to give this a go. Um, so picked it up, but no, I, I neither had a I-need-to-learn-all-about-it stance or don't-tell-me-anything stance either, so... So the game comes out, you pick it up. I know you're you're like a bunch of us on the forum, and that you know the, the moment a game comes out, you're you're one of us who will be there on yeah. day one. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, and uh, tell me about how you obviously took to it because you want to talk about it today. But how difficult was it for you to get into Demon's Souls? Well, I played through the tutorial. I walked to the top of the second flight of stairs up that first bridge and promptly died. Um, at that <laughs> point, I. I instantly loved it, but was also like, oh, good God, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> um, so, And so you obviously stuck with it, though. Yep. Uh, what uh, Do you remember a moment where it really clicked for you and you're like, yes, this is awesome? You know, I don't remember, like, I remember instantly really enjoying the preciseness of the combat mechanic and how it wasn't about mashing buttons and wailing away. It was much more about strategy and kind of, you know, careful, precise movements and button presses to create your actions, which is a, is a kind of gameplay that really appeals to me. Um, but I think it was a few levels in before I had a handle on what the game was, how it really operated, and that's when I really kind of understood it and, and really started to enjoy it a lot. I was touch and go for a bit there because it is quite hard at first. And it, it's it's also, it doesn't play you in very easily. No. Like, it, it's hard and it's not... <laughs> It's not necessarily reluctant to alienate people. No, right? no problem being like, hey, whatever, dude. If you can't figure it out, <laughs> tough. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's one of my one of the. So how do you feel about this? Would you recommend Demon's Souls 
Well, and I'll just put this out there. Demon Souls, I think it's a fantastic game, but there aren't many people to whom I would recommend it. I mean, I mean, I think it's really difficult to get into, and I think people who really enjoy RPGs might not necessarily like Demon's Souls because it's such a unique, different, distinctive kind of gameplay experience. Uh, that I, and I think a lot of people wouldn't get into it. W- would you agree with that, or would you take issue with that? I, I would agree. I, I mean, I think certainly I'm not a huge RPG guy. I enjoy them, but I don't think Demon Souls, while it is an RPG, is going to appeal to a lot of guys who really like that, you know, a Dragon Age sort of RPG. I think they're going to play this for a minute and be like, okay. Um, it doesn't work to operate at all like that. It operates much more from a combat stance almost like a Ninja Gaiden, where it's, it's, it's complicated, there's a lot to what you do, you have to be really precise, you can't just wail away, you have to really think about what you're doing and where you're standing and how you're engaging. Um, and you have to do all that in real time, you can't just pause and be like, hmm, okay, I'm here, I'll move over there and attack. You, know, you have to quickly evaluate and try to get yourself out of trouble if you happen to get in trouble, because one mistake and you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> which I think is another huge obstacle, is I think a lot of people... I love that that permadeath mechanic. I like I love the idea of being penalized when when you die. I, I love how punishing that is because it raises the stakes. But I think a lot of people don't really want that in a video game. Well, I, see, I don't think you are penalized for dying in Demon Souls. It's just part of the gameplay of. You know, in a sense, I feel like it's sort of like a puzzle game where if you solve the puzzle incorrectly, the penalty is death, and you have to try it again. Much like if you bail out in Tetris, you have to start over. You know, it's... it's... <laughs> you can't go to Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I think I can here because it's, you, you know, you're evaluating a situation in real time and trying to figure out the best course of action. And if you screw that up, you lose. Well, but in te- it's one of the differences, and, and I, I get what you're saying, but I think what Demon's Souls does that other video games don't do is it's willing to take away from you something that you have. Demon's Souls is all about, and this is the genius of it, but I think part of why a lot of people might not like it, it's all about carefully calculating the risk-reward balance. Um, and if you fail, you know, you lose all that experience if you don't get it back to, you know, the town hub or, or whatever. Um, so you can be going along, you can be making progress, and if you decide to risk pushing forward and that risk, you know, if you fail, you've lost that progress. Um, and I think a lot of video games are reluctant to to frustrate players like that. Um, well, so that, that's one reason that I, that I think it, it would be difficult for some people to get into. To, to be fair, hmm? that only really comes into play very early in the game, very quickly, uh, and like 20 hours in or something. Trying to amass souls while you're making end runs in levels, it becomes completely irrelevant. There are other better, faster ways to do that if you're looking to gain a level. Um, so you, you kind of, like when I jump into a, a level to actually play one through, I don't do it with the idea of, oh, I'm going to get souls out of this. I do it with the idea that I'm going to find a strategy to win this. If I want souls, I'll go off and farm them somewhere where I can rack up, you know, well, at my point in the game, close to 90,000 in like 10 minutes or something. So mm-hmm. it's uh, creating that disconnect and understanding that, you're yeah, you lose all these souls, but it's kind of irrelevant anyway. That's like a, a mental hurdle I had to get over. Like at first I was just like, I was like, oh, my God, all that work and nothing. And you realize, eh, you know what, though? They make it pretty easy to rack them up, so it's not a big deal. 
Well, when you say uh, you sit down to play and you want to solve a certain area, does that mean uh, unlocking some sort of trigger in the level or killing a boss or something? Yeah, you know, an, an end run on a level, going from start to finish to kill the boss, I guess, ultimately is the goal. Sometimes the goal is to get to the unlock the shortcut so that if you do die, right. you don't have to go through it all again. Um, well, but even there, Matt, I, I think even if you're not in it for the souls, you're in it to hit that, that trigger mm-hmm. on the level. Oh, yeah. And, and, and so there is risk-reward, like, pushing for that trigger. And I guess, actually, once you hit that trigger, there's nothing that can undo it. Right. The triggers are permanent once you, once you unlock that. Um, so, and yeah, I mean, that's sort of that. But some of that element of risk that you can easily die if you screw up and have to start at the beginning again, even though you've gotten through a lot of hard stuff. I mean, that's part of the fun, I think, that the tension it creates. Yeah, you, you, you can't use the F word while we're talking oh, analytics. Yeah. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> part, part of the, but no, you're, the, the risk, yeah, but that creates the caution that, you know, if, you, if it didn't matter if you died, it would, because you could start two steps back, you wouldn't care about taking your time and figuring out these different ways to get through these difficult situations. Because, oh, I died, well, big deal, I'll try again. You know, and now it's like, damn, I'm back at the start again. Ah! <laughs> And, and for the record, I completely agree with you, is that that's what makes it fun, is that it does hold you accountable to that, that risk-reward calculation. Uh, so I, I was just giving you grief. I, oh, yeah. I think it's an incredibly fun game, but I, I just have been – I would be very hesitant about to whom I recommend it because it is so distinctive in terms of that risk-reward uh, trade-off. Now, you mentioned – so it, I think it's funny when you say you very quickly get over the idea of having to amass uh, souls – and then you say, after maybe 20 hours. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I have 113 hours into my character, so... So that's what I was going to ask, is this is a game for the long haul. Oh, yeah. You don't sit down and play that this is not just a game, it's it's a lifestyle. <laughs> it's like skiing, it's a, it's a way of life. <laughs> <laughs> if I spend as much time playing Demon's Souls, skiing, as I did playing Demon's Souls, I might enjoy skiing, Probably, too. Probably, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it is very much uh, a long journey, though. It's not the kind of thing you can sit down and, like, play through in 10 hours and be like, wee, that was fun. After that, you're just going to be like, that was the worst 10 hours I've ever because it is. It's just a very long, slow burn. Well, and here is another, another thing that I think is a caveat about Demon's Souls when people talk about it as an RPG. Uh, I don't think there's much of a narrative to it, is there? Like, I don't... I don't I, there's no real story. It's kind of like playing random levels in Diablo, isn't it? Well, I mean, there's a... Some sort of old one that got awakened that ultimately, I guess, you're trying to kill. Yeah, not really much of anything. True. Um, but and, and I don't. I think that I don't consider that a, a liability necessarily. I don't play Demon's Souls. I mean, to me, the story is leveling up my character, and what you're talking about is hitting those triggers in the different levels. That's the narrative experience there. Not who is this guy? Who are these p- ghosts in the town hub? Who is that little kid in the little Buddhist statue <laughs> at the top? I, I, had, yeah. I, don't know, I have no idea what any of that is, and in a way I don't care. Uh, yeah, it doesn't because, matter. But, but what, what it does, though, is I still get a lot of, like, the first time I saw those mind flayers with the little dinner bells. Oh, yeah, those guys are fantastic. I love those kind of experiences. Like, what the heck is this? And, and just how weird and different and dark it is. Yeah. Uh, I love that about it. And I think the story is very much told in the art style and the ambiance that's created. Like, you really feel like, God, how have I ended up in the worst place ever, and how do I get out of here kind of thing. Like, this poor adventurer just, like, really made a bad call going to Boletaria. <laughs> you know, and now he's stuck here, and he died, so he can't leave because he's tied to the Nexus. And, yeah, bad call, buddy. 
you know. And, uh, I do think that there is a claim to be made that Demon's Souls isn't really a fantasy RPG so much as it's a horror game. Uh, and, and I say that because of the the dark, serious tone of it, because of how punishing it can be with that risk-reward that we were talking about. Uh, it creates stakes that you don't normally get in a non-horror game and that you even rarely get in a horror game where you can just reload. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the artwork you're talking about, it definitely has, the, you know, the whole idea of an old one and those giant bosses and uh, these, these aren't, there's no little hobbits in there as far no, as I know. No, no. Yeah, I don't know about, I mean, I am quite easily scared by things and I'm not scared by this, so I, I have a hard time calling it horror because, like, I played Bioshock and was like, yeah, all right, I turn the lights on. But, uh, like, Bioshock? Yeah, yeah. Big baby, what's scary in Bioshock? Everything. <laughs> Leave me alone. Bioshock, Bioshock doesn't even have, like, the, the zombie monkeys from System Shock 2. I don't. Bioshock isn't... You're a big baby. I really am, I, and I don't really have a problem with that, because I'm, I'm an adrenaline junkie, and I love the roller coaster, but I hate the haunted house, you know? <laughs> well, that's funny, then, that you don't... Like, I don't necessarily find Demon's Souls scary, but I think of horror as not necessarily something that startles you or scares you, but I think of horror, and this I say this as someone who really loves horror movies and the, the genre... And, and something that just makes you uneasy, that creates in you a sense of unease and discomfort uh, and, and limits your power, uh, makes you feel vulnerable, I think. That, that to me, is the definition of a, of a horror movie or horror experience. And, and that's why I think of Demon's Souls, is you're very vulnerable in, in there. There's not this sense that now I'm a super powerful level 20 fighter and I've got a bazillion hit points and I'm fine. You know, when you're playing for real in Demon's Souls, there is this sense of vulnerability and that you could have a setback at, at any moment. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think if you, you sort of couch horror in those terms, it, it very much falls into that category then. Um, because I find... Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's an incredible sense of tension. Like, I'm in the end of my new game plus at level one... What am I at level? Uh, 120-something, I think. Uh, you know, and still, if I make a wrong move, I'm toast. And there is always that tension, always that, like, careful, careful, like, and something screws up, and you're like, ah, crap. So, yeah, you're always kind of on the edge there, which it, it's fun. Now, that kind of experience, is that new for you, Matt, or have you had that in other video games? Uh, is there, there, I should say, are there other video games that remind you of, of Demon's Souls that are similar to that experience? Honestly, the only one I can think of that I played, which is also one of my favorite games, was the original Ninja Gaiden. Uh, now, when I the Ninja Gaiden was, I, I think of that as just that prohibitively difficult Twitch fighting game, yeah? Yeah, but it's also, but Ninja Gaiden was a game where if you understood the systems and how it, it's sort of generally more or less, it's a little cheaper than Demon's Souls, Demon's Souls is a pure version of this, but it more or less played by its own rules. And if you could understand how to maneuver through combat, you could do well. And and much like Demon's Souls, things could go wrong in a drop of a hat in Ninja Gaiden. You know, you, you, mm -hmm. you miss a block, you roll the wrong way, and, and next thing you know, you're dead. Um, so that's that's why they're similar for me in that regard. Now, there are ways you can play Demon's Souls, if I'm not mistaken, where you can sort of do an end run around that, that twitchy combat, aren't there? Like, there, there are more combat-intensive character builds yep. and less combat-intensive character builds, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the, and, and part of that goes back to the puzzle thing, where it's like, 
you know, you, you kind of assess, like I use a bow, magic, and melee, and and you kind of look at what you've got ahead of you, and like, all right, if I can draw this guy out and thin this out with my bow, then maybe I can move in with my sword and finish these guys off. Or sometimes it makes sense to, you know, throw on a thief ring and and sort of obfuscate yourself from them and, and go out wide and hit him with a bow. You know, it all it all kind of varies. Um, so yes, they're trying to avoid risky situations is a lot of what Demon Souls is about, of, of figuring a way to get through something without putting yourself directly in harm's way. How gear-centric is Demon's Souls, do you think? Um, I mean, there's a ton of gear, and a lot of it's very useful. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question entirely. Oh, like, like how much? So, so some RPGs and some character development builds on skills, for instance. Like you're, you're, it's all about what skills you have. Some are based on, you know, abilities, that sort of thing. And some are based on equipment that you can freely swap out. Yeah. In a, uh, where would you say Demon's Souls falls in that level of character development? Well, and this becomes more of the impenetrability of playing Demon's Souls in that your the attributes of your weapons are tied to your skill rankings based on a letter grade. So certain weapons are better for certain skill builds. So the damage they deal out is different. So you want to be matching the weapons you like to use with where you're allocating skill points so that you're maximizing the effect of those weapons. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. It's called so wrapped up together, it's hard to differentiate between skill building and equipment use. It's all part and parcel of just a, a build of a character. Now, when you played, like, do, do you use any online resources to figure some of this stuff out? How much did you have to turn to people like Lizard King or other folks on the forum? Uh, how much help did you need figuring out Demon's Souls? Um, I, I needed a little bit, certainly more than, you know, I would like a game like Mass Effect or something. I definitely, I, I had to read some wikis. Uh, particularly in reading, there's upgrade trees for all the weapons. And you kind of, re- oh, that's right. you're very yeah. resource constrained, though. So you really kind of want to read ahead and figure out which direction you want to go so that you don't end up with the wrong weapon later on. So, I mean, there are some issues with that where it's it's, it can be kind of impenetrable, um, and you do you really need to read up a little bit, at least in terms of, of of upgrade trees. And I didn't read a whole lot about how like about the walkthroughs for the levels and stuff. I prefer to do that on my own. But there really is no in-game way to determine: okay, am I upgrading the right weapons in the right direction that is going to benefit me later? Because the skill, the paths for upgrading branch. And they branch in different directions at different levels, so it's you know it's just it's a kind of a big mess if you don't <laughs> if you don't look at it. It is a fault of the game that it doesn't give you any kind of clue as to that in the game, and you really have to go look at a wiki and be like, okay, well, I really want that sword with that ability, which means I need to upgrade my you know whatever to a level six, and then I can switch it with that demon or that soul or this whatever to get that you know, and it's it can get a little. It's also by the way. <laughs> That, that's a bit, too, how it's like a horror game, in that you don't always know what's going on. <laughs> There's a certain amount of mystery to it. <laughs> yeah, yes, there is a certain amount of mystery. I mean, I kind of have a pretty good handle on it now, but like I said, I'm 100 and whatever hours in, so. Uh, what bosses gave you fits? Oh, God. Uh, king Alon was probably the worst one, or the false king, the, the, the what is it, one, I think, Four boss, or the last. He's the big guy with the tower shield. Oh no, no, no that's, no, no, that's no, no. he's beyond the big guy with the tower shield. Two past the big guy with the tower shield. He's the okay. one that I actually had to call in help for him. I had to pull in 
a couple of blue souls for that guy because I just after like 20 tries I was like oh my god screw this guy <laughs> now was it a matter of he's that difficult or were you, was your character build not good for it or were we not uh, powerful enough why were you having trouble with him uh, a little bit of both he would I was kind of where we were kind of in a stalemate kind of thing my build is rather broad uh, so it's good for a lot of things but it doesn't deal out massive damage quickly mm-hmm. um, and he would wear down my stamina and get me into sort of get me back on my heels, and then it became very difficult to get him that last third of his life bar gone. At that point, I, I sort of would use all my tricks to get him there, and then he would just sort of keep coming at me, and I would be out of stamina and low on health and running low on magic, and just couldn't quite pull it off from there. So, uh, describe him for us. Who is he? I've never seen this guy. I haven't gotten past the tower shield guy as far as like how far I've gotten into the first area. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm trying to remember what he looks like. It's been a while since I've been there. Um, he's got, like, robes on and a big sword and long hair. He's about slightly taller than a human. Uh, he's not, oh, he's not a big giant yeah, thing. Yeah, no, no, he's not a giant thing. But he's You got your butt kicked by a normal-sized dude? Dude, uh, talk to me in 50 hours when you get to him. <laughs> and then, then you can give me shit, all right? <laughs> Easy for me to taunt you, yeah, now that I haven't even gotten past the big tall guy, right? <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, so, so you mentioned bringing in the blue souls. Tell us a bit about because I have to say, Matt. So I've I've played a fair amount of demon souls. I am strictly a dilettante. Uh, every now and then, I'm like, I'm going to read up on this game and figure it out. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of paralyzed by indecision with the upgrades. I've sampled all of the worlds, but I haven't pushed very deeply into any of them. Um, one thing that to this day I could not begin to explain how it works to someone is the idea of the multiplayer in Demon's Souls. I know you can leave people messages, and I've, I've seen those little glyphs on the floor, and it's where a message is written there. But what's all this, this hoo-ha about bringing people into your world and how the multiplayer works? Explain that in layman's terms. Yeah, how do I, it's, it's, how do I explain that? It doesn't sound too, too convoluted. Basically, you have different stones you put down um, that either that will allow you to be called into another person's world as either a friendly blue helper or as a black trying to kill them kind of phase, a black soul versus a blue soul kind of thing. Um, And so you can either go in to kind of grief people as they're trying to do their thing, or you can go in and try to help them solve that. You can only summon souls in when you're actually in body form, and when when, when you're a soul, you can't actually summon help. Uh, and now that's the case with the black griefers and the blue helpers, is you have to be in full physical form to avail yourself of either of those? Is that true? Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's very anonymous. You know, it's not like there's chat. You don't play it co-op. You just, you're kind of like stuck and you're like, all right, I need a little help. So you use a stone of ephemeral eyes or something and all, all you'll see all the little signs of people looking to help and uh jump in and it, it actually blue souling becomes a really good way to learn a level like i recommend that for you is is throw down a blue soul in a level you're having trouble with and that will let you go through it with a little bit of help and maybe get a little direction early on when you don't know your way through uh if you keep now, getting stuck so now for me to throw down the the blue stone and go into someone else's level i don't have to be in physical form is that correct? right and you don't really you don't actually risk souls as a blue soul either so it's kind of like a free run you know, if you've got a bunch of souls piled up, you're like, man, I'd like to see what's in this level, but eh, I don't want to run in because I don't quite have enough for another soul level. You can throw down your blue soul. If, you, if you're successful, you get your body back in a pile of souls. If not, eh, no harm done. You saw a little bit more of a level. 
if if you if you aren't successful, like do you can you earn anything while you're a, while you've thrown down a blue? Are they souls or stones? They're stones. It's a stone that you put down. Yes. Okay, so if I put down a blue stone and I go into someone else's level, I'm not physical yet. Am I earning, making any progress on my game? Like, am I unlocking level triggers and earning souls, or am I just along for the ride? You are earning, I think you're earning souls. You definitely get souls if you beat the boss. You get souls for that, and you get graded by the other players, and that determines how many you get at the end. Um, as far as unlocks and items and stuff, no, you're definitely along the ride for that. Because I'm in their world. Right. I'm in their instance, right? Yes. Right. Now, so also explain, because this is this is a weird little thing, too, the difference between being a physical person in the world of demon souls and being a ghost in, in the world of demon souls. So when you die, you are basically at half health. Is that right? You play a ghost. Yeah, depending on your rings and whatnot. But yes, generally right. you're at half health. Now, how do you get to be a physical person again? Uh, well, there's two ways. You can either defeat a, a demon either in your own world or in somebody else's. And when you say a demon, you mean a, a boss, boss yeah. not just a random dude. Right. Okay, that's not going to happen. So what's my other option? Uh, use a stone of ephemeral eyes. Oh, there's an item. Yeah. I may not have known that, Matt. Use the item and bang, there you are. Um, be careful because as soon as you use that, people can start invading you. <laughs> the, the the black stone uh, griefing right. guys. Yes. Right. So those, so now, now, that's not a risk you have when you're a soul, of course, but once you're physical... Uh, does does that happen? Like, if I'm running around physically, will will people, black soul dudes, come in and mess with my game? Oh, or is that rare? Yeah. No, it happens all the time. <laughs> I don't know how many people are playing these days, but certainly, you know, when I was playing a ton, I don't play I don't play nearly as much as I was. But yeah, I mean, they'll come in often, and they can attack you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they can take your stuff, like and like like farm the level and take stuff out from under you that you were hoping you would get. Not gear, but if they kill you, they get all the souls you had on you at the time. Ah, now have you done that to anyone? Have you have you black souled into someone else's game? What's the verb for this, by the way? What do you call it when you do this? Black souling. <laughs> okay, have you black souled someone else's game? Uh, I've done it once or twice. I don't do a whole lot of that, to be honest. I'm kind of a nice guy. That that the whole PvP thing isn't something I've really delved deeply into. Um, there are certain types of builds that are good for PvP, but it's not in general how I like to play. So I don't usually do a lot of that. You kind of want to build a a massive damage kind of build. But it is fun when you have a couple of buddies helping you and one of them jumps in. It sort of adds a little spice to the level, you know. And when some other dude comes running in, you got to go run back and take him out. It can <laughs> it can be fun. Now uh, you say have, you said that it's not a so there's no voice chat when someone is in your instance of the world that's correct you're yeah. like you're not communicating with them yeah uh so it's not like for instance because we've done this and we've done this with lizard king it's not play, like playing resident evil 5 co-op where you get a real sense that here's a buddy we're talking we're communicating about what we're doing that's not what demon souls is like not at all and and to be honest i it, it i remember i played one time i, I forget who i was playing i think someone someone on it from the forum i forget who and we were actually using our xbox to party chat <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's failing of the game and of the PS3 is not being able to get to a party. Because you can sort of put your, your stones down in creative spots that aren't going to be seen or used by other people and have your friends go over and use them. So you can kind of co-op it. Um, but, yeah, you end up typing all these messages, and it's kind of a pain in the butt, to be honest. <laughs> so thanks, Microsoft. Thanks for helping us out. Yeah, yeah I, I did see a, a certain irony in that, but it, it worked, so... 
so you're on a new game plus. Yeah. Uh, what what's what's different now? It's just harder. You you reset all of the levels. What what's going on in your new game plus? Yeah, you you keep your character, your stats, all your gear, everything stays the same, but the game resets entirely and is is exponentially more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's kind of it. Yeah. And then you just sort of go through again. And I'm, there are you there are things, items, and spells and whatnot that you can acquire in New Game Plus that you can't get in the first game. Uh, oh, and there's also that whole thing, if I'm not mistaken, Matt, there's a thing about there's a level of light or darkness in your in uh, your instance, basically, and that determines, uh, isn't it, like what creatures there are and even some of the loot you can get? Is that correct? Yeah, it, it affects the world tendency, and there's also character tendency, but world tendency affects... Um, it, I mean, it, it affects sort of the shape of the world. So certain items are only available in either pure white or pure black, and certain characters only show up at pure white or pure black. Um, as well as it, it, the drop rates in pure black are better, and the enemies are, are definitely quite a bit stronger, and, mm-hmm. and there are more of them uh, in pure black. And so another reason to stay as a soul, and you'll probably notice all these bloodstains in the Nexus, uh, those are people suiciding because if you die in world as a body, you you move toward black. And if you if you're as a soul and you die, you don't get any penalty in that, in terms of world tendency. So that's why people keep doing that. Now, is, is there a universally decided? Uh, is there a consensus about whether you want to move towards white or black, or is it uh, some people prefer ones like chocolate vanilla? It depends on what you're trying to do. Um, like if you need, if there are certain resources you can only obtain by moving the world to pure black. Um, and it, one of the problems with the game, at least in my opinion, is that there is your individual world tendency, but that's affected by the online general world tendency of everyone's game, which is mm. almost universally quite white. So if I want to switch to pure black for whatever reason, I basically have to go offline, switch it to black, and keep it there and do what I need to do, and then I can go back online and it'll bump way back up to white again. So mm-hmm. that's sort of a weird mechanic. And it, 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 sort of, it gets kind of complicated as to why you do that. Um, but it is, it is basically for farming resources, essentially, or completing different aspects and different storylines that are buried now, in there. If you were uh, If you were a game designer... What, if anything, other things would you change about Demon's Souls? I think I would would come up with some way to make 1-1, the level after the tutorial, a little bit more self-explanatory. So it didn't quite throw people in quite so harshly, so they weren't instantly turned off by it. Um, and then allowing some sort of direction so that you knew that really you want to go from 1-1 to either 2-1 or 1-2, and past that, usually finish out too, like because there is a very much a difficulty curve to these different levels. Even though you can go to whichever one you want, right. um, and that was one thing I went on the forums to actually ask. I was like, all right, where the hell do I go now? Because like I'm confused, and and I ended up basically just asking what to do. Um, and it seems like the game could tell you, hey, you know, head in this direction now instead of wandering off over into the Tower of Lashia and getting killed in four steps. Is that where the mind flayers yeah, with the dick exactly. spells are? Yes. <laughs> so, who are those guys, by the way? Uh, mind flayers. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, and I guess we should point out, and this would explain a lot about Demon's Souls. Uh, it's Japanese. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. 
<laughs> they don't make games like that in the U.S. That, that stuff wouldn't fly. I can't imagine anyone but Atlas importing that. Uh, <laughs> did you ever play... Uh, I'm going to butcher the name of this, but I'm pretty sure all four of these words are in the title of this game. Did you ever play a game called something like... Fire Breath Dragon Quarter? What? That- <laughs> I know there's a are game. Are you making stuff up over there? No, I know all four of those words are in some order. Dragon breath, fire quarter, a quarter fire dragon's breath. Uh, it, it, it's another kind of, I recall it having a similar structure to Demon Souls, where it's an RPG with permadeath, and it's based on as you play, you die. You know, death is a mandatory part of it, and it's part of how you advance, and you reset yourself uh Anyway, you didn't play it, and I can't think of the name of it. So, but but I think it has some continuity with Demon's Souls, and it was another crazy Japanese uh, RPG. Did did you ever get into dungeon crawlers like NetHack and stuff like that, or Shiren the Wanderer? No, not at all, to be honest. Uh, I I grew up on Nintendo, not a PC, so I never really played much of that stuff. Well, that's the stuff that, like, I think the people who are really into Demon Souls, I think that's some of the groundwork that it takes to, for a, a lot of people to really appreciate uh, what Demon's Souls is doing. Uh, so it's a little miraculous that you came to it uh, considering you're like a – like, I, I know you as you're, you're my Resident Evil 5 buddy. Yep. Uh, you're also – you're like me. You're an evangelist for Need for Speed Shift. Oh, God. I, came uh, so, I was playing that right before I hopped on here. I was like, oh, i got to finish up my F1. I'm almost done. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what, Matt? You're playing it on the wrong damn platform. Well, Why on earth are you... Well, actually, I know the answer. So explain to people who who think you're awfully silly for playing a game like that that has great multiplayer yeah, on the yeah. PS3. Why would you do such a thing? Because I like the wheel so much better on the PS3. And it's hard to get a good wheel. There's, there's really... Is, is yours a Logitech? It's one of those great Logitech wheels, right? Yeah, it's not like the super awesome, amazing, like $300 one, but it's definitely one of the higher-end Logitech ones. I, it's, I forget what it's called exactly, but it's, it's a pretty nice they're, one. It, it feels good when you drive. It's, it's pretty nice. And they're hard to get. A, it's hard to get a good wheel for the 360. I mean... Well, there uh, is one. <laughs> well, there's a wheel, but it's a $99 dippy little, little one. Do you, have you... Uh, like, I don't even know if Microsoft still makes it, actually. No, they make it. I actually owned it for about four and a half hours about a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you snapped out of that. The little thing with the, the goofy, like, lap yeah, wings. Yeah. yeah. That went back to Best Buy pretty quick. I was like, oh, yeah, this is nothing. And, and I thought racing games were terrible, actually, at that point. I was like, what? This is stupid. And then ended up picking up this wheel and Need for Speed Shift uh, not too long ago. And, uh, you know, I'm like, wow, these are actually really amazing. You just need gear that works right. <laughs> Wait, so, so you don't have, you don't, you, you weren't into racing games. Like, this was your introduction to racing games? Uh, yeah, I played, well, I actually played uh, Gran, uh, what, Gran Turismo Prologue first. But my, my love affair with racing games did not start till Need for Speed Shift. I'd never really played one before, and I always thought they were kind of silly. And Matt, you kind of screwed it up for yourself because you peaked early. I mean, you, you really... Uh, you started with the best. That's going to ruin a lot of other racing games for well, you. Well, it'll save me a lot of money, though, right? So I don't ah, good point. Crappy exactly. racing games. I'll just play the good one. <laughs> now, do you ever play online? Like, is there much? Uh, is it, or do you even care about that? Because there, there's a strong one of the one of the tracks of advancement, and I get so sucked into this. And in Need for Speed Online is, uh, and I think they're they're badges or medallions. I forget exactly what they're called, but they're based on racing online. Yep. Uh, have you done much of that? A little bit, and I, I really would love to. I wish I had a group of guys that like to race because it is a lot of fun if you're in a good room. 
But it's so yeah. easy just to come up behind someone and spear them off the track if you're losing and just sort of not really race by actually racing, but just, like, knocking people around that, you know, it's just annoying to, to, and like turn one is always a bloodbath, and you're like, God, guys, breaks, you know, they work. So, <laughs> like, part of me doesn't enjoy it online for that reason. Every once in a while, I'll jump on, and occasionally, I'll end up in a really good group, and I'll have a great time. But then, you know, who knows? So, and and since you've gotten your wheel, uh, have you tried racing with a gamepad? Uh, I actually, no. <laughs> it, it's insufferable, Matt. Don't even try. I mean, it is just because there, there's a bit of a learning curve to uh, a wheel. Like I, I remember at times in the past, sort of dabbling with wheels, thinking, ah, you know, racing games are built for for game pads. I'm just going to stick with that. Yeah. But when, once you get over that learning curve and get accustomed to a wheel, it really does spoil it for you, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I can't. Like you have no feel for grip or anything without the wheel, yeah. and it's really hard to like throttle really precisely with a trigger and, and move in tiny increments with a stick. I, it's just madness. I don't know why people play them without wheels. It's crazy yeah. people. But well, because, because you know, wheels cost at least 100 bucks for a decent wheel. Well, I owned my first racing game, I guess Gran Turismo Prologue, for about an hour and a half before going back to the store to buy a wheel. I put it into first-person mode, and I was like, yeah, this game needs a wheel. So I went and bought one, and now I love them. And actually... Yeah, then picked up Shift, actually, on your recommendation not long after that. was like, all right, screw this Gran Turismo crap. This game's amazing. <laughs> Gran Turismo's really bad. I mean, I don't understand why that's got a following. I just... Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was fine until I knew better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what? That's why it's got a following is, yeah, people don't know any better. <laughs> Ignorance is blessed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we also share a, a deep affection for Resident Evil 5. Oh, oh, yeah. uh, you, by the way, uh, bought the... The downloadable content, we're a little disappointed in it, I understand, yeah? Uh, I actually really enjoyed it right up until the end when it fizzled out completely, and I was like, huh, all right, well, that was kind of cool. I it, I felt like it was building and building and building, and then it just kind of died. So, And uh, you did that instead of oh, uh, getting multiplayer. Oh, you're going to do it, aren't you? That's right, and playing with me and Paul. Yeah. So. Are you, do you think you made the right choice, Matt, or should you have listened to us instead? Well, this goes back to one of those subtle differences in games that enjoyment we have, and that I don't actually like strategy and RTS games much at all. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I listen to Three Moves Ahead and all that good stuff, but when it comes to sitting and playing one, I'm eh, it's not really for me. So Darwinian was a pass, not because it's not brilliant, but just because it doesn't tickle my fancy, I guess. All right. So what what you you mentioned it before we started recording that you and I diverged in a few ways. I was kind of hoping you were going to like tell me that I was wrong about something, which I'm always open to hearing. Uh, but it sounds like you're just not into strategy games. Well, if you're I wrong about strategy games, they're not fun. <laughs> okay, well there you go. So you're saying they're boring. Okay. How's that? No, you know it's just not for me. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of our opinions do overlap, but yes, there are some certain game types that you and I that you enjoy that I don't, and I'm sure vice versa. So. Well, now, here you go. Have I ever uh, – so you mentioned you got Need for Speed Shift on, on my recommendation. I, I appreciate that level of trust. Uh, just out of curiosity, have I ever steered you wrong? And I'm, this isn't a challenge. I'm just wondering if there's anything I should feel bad about now that I have you here. No, nope, uh, <laughs> not at all, because I know that when you're raving about a game, that's something I'm not going to – like, I understand the differences between our opinions. So, like, and I know when you recommend – I'm like, okay, well, this is a game Tom likes for this reason, and I'm not going to like it for that reason, but – 
in the areas that we overlap, you are generally pretty bang on about what's good. So it's actually <laughs> okay. quite nice for me. And I know I've sent you messages from time to time on Xbox going, dude, is that any good? <laughs> when I'm waffling. So, no. And in terms of the areas where we overlap, yeah, you've been pretty dead on. So that's good. Now, now since you're such a hardcore PS3 fanboy, <laughs> uh, have you tried any uh, PlayStation? Uh, okay, for instance, here's one where I think a lot of people disagree with me, and I, I realize I have an irrational exuberance for it. Uh, there's there's a, a downloadable game called Burn Zombie Burn. Have you tried that? No, because I, it, it was very much like Mercenaries mode in your description of it, in which I know you uh, like yeah. and I dislike, where it's, it's, it's contriving that like lining up all the baddies and then like killing them in a systematic way and I just don't have the pick. scoring yeah, yeah it's all about the score and I hate, yep. I hate score I just want to shoot stuff when I'm shooting ah okay no need fair enough scores. uh what about um now now you're you're new to driving games and I don't think this will work with your wheel but wipeout uh the wipeout HD or no what is it called the downloadable wipeout yeah wipeout on, uh, I think it is. Yeah, I think it's Wipeout HD. Have you tried that? I tried the demo. I I don't know. It was just kind of silly. I guess it never really connected with me. The something about the art style and the little things like, like I like the feeling of being in that car and like spinning the wheel and kind of getting the back end loose and using the accelerator to drive you through the turn. Like all that subtlety and these little mag flying floaty things zipping around just kind of didn't have that appeal to me. So okay, but good. Fair. I did play the demo and it just didn't really hit me. Now, were you one of the people, I might be confusing you with someone else, but weren't you also an early adopter for Fat Princess? I was. I was. And uh, that, that, now that's kind of, you know what, that's not really a, I was going to, I was going to accuse you of playing a real-time strategy game, but that's not really what that is, is it? That's more like a multiplayer shooter, almost. almost yeah, almost. Um, and one that doesn't work very well, either, so, unfortunately. Because of the whole team play stuff, and there's no way to communicate? Yeah, it, like just, it just didn't quite gel, you know, and people didn't want to work as a team, and you, you really have to to make that game work, and, you know, I, I don't know, it just didn't, didn't quite connect, and there's, you can't, like, start a party on a PS3 and then get a bunch of people together and jump into a game together and have a team. You had to keep, like, jumping into a game and then inviting a couple of people you want to play with. And then you had to couldn't really talk to them unless you're holding a trigger. And just d- details that kind of made that game fail. Because I think the heart of it is pretty cool, but right. it wasn't very user-friendly. Uh, what is coming down the pike that you are looking forward to getting next? Is there anything you're psyched about? I'm hip deep in heavy rain right now, which I'm digging. And I'm trying to, there was something I was looking forward to, but I can't think of it now. <laughs> so maybe not that much. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think what was coming next. I, you know, I don't know. I don't think there is anything coming up. How about yourself? Anything you're looking forward to that will jog my memory? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I don't have a sense for what's coming up. You, you know, I've... There's some things that are coming up that are really big that I'm not looking forward to, and I'll, I'll throw this out God and see if it does anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not paying any attention to. Yeah, that, that, that one. <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess because I, I, you know, it's a bit different for me because I get stuff for work. So I'm like, yeah, I guess you know, I'll have to play that and write about that. But oh. it's, it's almost like having to go to a movie that you don't really want to uh-huh. see. I played the demo. I didn't even play all the way through. I was just like, this sucks. Like. <laughs> Yeah, it's just I don't know. It's what's it like? What what is in the is the demo just like early levels and it's showing you the the early part of the game? Yeah, it's it just the mechanic is really stale. It, it feels like a very overproduced game that has somehow lost its heart along the way, and it's just got a really stale mechanic and every you know I don't know. It just 
doesn't have any any spark of life in it as an artistic endeavor. It's just a very dead kind of game. So you're not making me look forward to this. Sorry, man. man you shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recommend looking forward to God of War. <laughs> okay, well, Matt, I don't know if you know this, but I am now about to ask you okay. a completely random question. It has nothing to do with anything whatsoever. Okay, as long as it's not anything to do with math, I'm okay. Oh, you, you know what? You never have to worry about that with me. Right. Although, actually, no, I don't know anything about math, so it's, it's the sort of thing that I would... Every now and then I have to do math, yeah. and I'm astonished at how much of it I've forgotten and how bad I am at it. So, for instance, this isn't the random question, <laughs> but have you recently tried to do long division, like with a pen and paper? No. <laughs> it's, I was like, wow, did I ever know how to do this? Like, what... Do you put the number here? Is it here? Or it's really like trying to remember a dead language or something. Like when I try to do long division, it's a mess, and I'm sure I'm doing it wrong. And it's yeah, just like, I, mean, I vaguely remember a number and then a little bracket and numbers underneath that. But yeah, what exactly. You, what you do from there? Not a, no, no clue. I'll tell you what you do from there is you you boot up Windows and yeah. you go to the Windows calculator. Precisely. <laughs> but no, this is not a, a math uh, question. Uh, okay, here you go. You ready for this? Go for it. What's your favorite letter of the alphabet? Uh, huh. I don't know. I think I might like G. That's a little odd. Yeah, I'm gonna go with now, now you do. So you, the fact that you answered means that you obviously feel they're not all equal. You know, some letters worse than others, some better. Yeah. Uh, you leaned towards the G. What What made you lean towards the G? Because I thought. Because of your name, you might pick an M. No, an, an M is actually graphically quite boring, and there's not much you can do with it with different typefaces and moving it around and trying to create interest. But I feel like words that start with G, there's, you know, you can you can make a G look pretty cool in a in a, in a good typeset. So very good. Go so G. from an aesthetic perspective, good for you. Because you know what, Matt, as a writer, I didn't even think of the visual aspect of the letters. That's that's very good. Oh, is there uh, another aspect to them? Well, just like how you use them in words. What is there another aspect for? Yeah, no words. They're letters are just decorations, Matt. Yeah, they're, they're exactly. That's why my grammar's so bad. All I see is decorations. <laughs> you just you just trolled me, didn't you? <laughs> so uh, the the prize this week. Uh, this is an easy one. It's a downloadable code for a game called Greed Corp. Ah, yeah. But. It's for the Xbox 360, so you won't be able to play it if you win, Matt, on your beloved PlayStation 3. Well, fortunately, uh -huh. I'll be able to play it on my 360, so which okay. actually sees a lot more action. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I just, I know, I know. I, I'm really bummed the fact that you're the only other guy I know who's as into Need for Speed as Shift as much as I am, and you're on the wrong platform. <laughs> well, as I understand it, and according to your trophies, you have a copy for PS3 as well. So I'm not really sure what's up with not wanting to jump in there with me. I think Wait, wait, wait are you serious? Come on. You you can you can you imagine a game like that that tracks your progress where almost every little thing you do advances you towards unlocking a badge or, or some why on earth when I've when I've got my profile on the Xbox 360, would I ever bother booting it up on the PS3? Well, look, I understand if you're scared to come race me. It's bad. You can use whatever excuse <laughs> Please. to justify Dude. that. You know. Dude, that <laughs> angle is not going to work for me. I am not a competitive guy. Nice try, though. Hey, you know. I, I, no, I know you've got it for both. So, I mean, you're the one with the options here. I don't like my – I don't have a wheel for 360. And That is a good point. You, you, are, you are the weak link in that, I think. <laughs> 
You know, you're right. I have no one to blame but myself. If I really wanted to play with you, I would totally be able to. And and that's another thing, too, Matt, is I haven't played Need for Speed Shift in months. You know, I miss that game. I, I Unfortunately, and I'm, I'm not trying to say, oh, my job is so hard, life is tough, but unfortunately I don't often get to play games just because I like them or because I want to, yeah. which, which kind of sucks because I, I miss Need for Speed Shift. I love that thing. I miss uh, Resident Evil 5. Really? You, I, by the way, I, I need your help clearing a certain area, uh, and, you know, we've talked about that before. So I there's a bunch of games that I oh, yeah. would be playing if I didn't have to play other stupid things for work. Yeah, life must be tough having to play games for work all day. <laughs> I, 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 I have so much, I feel so bad for you. It's just like, God, you can't oh, play these games. And Says the guy who, who draws his <laughs> house and gets to paint walls and every now and then goes out and takes soil samples and gets to eat awesome bread every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lives in idyllic Burlington, <laughs> Vermont. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I know. We don't have much to complain about. <laughs> All right, so your favorite letter is G. Yeah. Uh, there will be a, a, a thread in the Everything Else subforum, so post in this thread, and in order to be eligible for the Greed Corp drawing, actually, you know what, Matt, I hadn't given this any thought. How can we weed out certain people to prove that they've listened to the podcast? What, what, what should we make them do in their post? I normally am ready with something like this, but I, I didn't have anything today. Should they? Well, what's the title of the post going to be? Just uh, what's your favorite letter? Oh, your favorite letter. Or I think I, I wrote it down. What's your favorite letter of the alphabet? Uh, so some people are going to just duck in there and go, oh, I like S. Yeah. I like N. No, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that either. I thought you'd have that covered. No. So yeah, we have to have some way to identify people. Uh, so here you go. You have to use either Matt's name or Mary Prankster. So, so one or Blue Gaiute, you have to somehow use one incarnation of, of Matt's identity here in your post. And good luck figuring out how that's going to work, because I have no idea. <laughs> so in the context of discussing your favorite letter, you must either mention Matt, Mary Prankster, or Blue Gaiute. Well, why don't we open that up just a little bit so it's either Matt, Mary Prankster, Mary or Prankster, or Blue or Gaiute, or any permutation of those. Good. So they have, like they have a little bit more room to maneuver. I like that. So one of those five words must appear in your post. Matt, Blue, Gaiute, Mary, or Prankster. And you also, of course, must answer what your favorite letter of the alphabet is. Good. All right, so uh, join us next week when we will be here. Oh, here we go. This will be an interesting one. Uh, Okay, so here's a little quiz for you, Matt. Uh Uh-oh. Do you know the guy on the forum from Australia who wrangles crocodiles? Do you know who I'm talking about? Of course. Crazy Croc, yeah. See, now you did that, too. That's not his name. Is, it's Craze Croc. Oh it's like they are. He does some weird because I every now and then like do a forum search for his name because I want to look up something he wrote or whatever, and it never comes up because it's K R Y Z Croc. Ah. So I don't know if he meant to do that or if it's some affectation. Well, I uh, I will maintain that given that I have dyslexia, I, I plead the fifth on that that I can't actually sort that stuff out anyway. So he's lucky I had Crazy Croc straightened out enough to say that. So <laughs> you could have called him Croc Crazy or something. Yeah. Uh, well, he will be here, and you will never guess what game he wants to talk about. Uh, so you know what? I'm going to leave it. At, uh, no, I'll say. It's a good teaser. For some reason, when he talked about, when he when he put forth the game he wanted to discuss, Dead Space. Huh. Oh, yeah, whatever. Did you play Dead Space? No, it's too scary. Oh, that's right, because you're a big baby. <laughs> exactly. Ah. Yeah, you can Dead Space. 
You know what, you, Matt, you probably then, it might be too scary for you to listen when Adam, it's Adam, by the way, when Adam is on the podcast, you, you may not have the stomach for it. It might be too terrifying for you. Yes, yes, I think I probably <laughs> will skip that if it, it sounds too bad. <laughs> so uh, join us next week. Post in the uh, the forum about your favorite letter, and you could win a free download code for uh, Greed Corp. And uh, Matt, I hang out with you online, but thanks for hanging out with me again today, and uh, I'll be seeing you around on the forum. Awesome, yeah, it's good times.